Hello Gateway, I hope you've had a good week. On Tuesday of this week coming, we will have been in lockdown for 50 days. And for many of us, our new normal is now finding some form of rhythm and routine. There is a strange sense of emptiness about not being together as church on a Sunday morning, or not being able to embrace one another when we meet. I am longing for us as church to be together, to be able to worship our King in our church, and join in collective worship as his body. For some of you at home watching right now, whether you are part of Gateway or just a a guest logging in, church might have some sort of distorted view. Maybe you bring your own misconceptions or experiences. You might have been taken to church as a child, maybe as part of your school trips. You might only go to church at weddings or funerals or maybe at Christmas. You might think that church is old buildings or musty pews or something that should be confined to the past. In fact, you might be logging on to watch church and you might find that much easier than the prospect of entering a church building. Last Sunday, this video, the UK Blessing, went viral across the UK and now has over 1.5 million views. This collection of, uh, this song sung by a collection of artists and worship leaders Uh, came together to sing a prayer across the nations. The video ends with these simple words. Our building might be closed, but the church is alive. Our buildings might be closed, but the church is alive. Our passage in the early pages of the Gospel of John continues our series called True and Better. The miracle of the church is that whilst our physical buildings may lie empty, now just set up as recording studios for our Sunday message. When we come to Jesus, we are supernaturally connected together as his body. How is this possible? Because Jesus is the true and better temple. He is the one that we come to when we worship. Let's read together John 2 verses 12 to 22 and spend a few moments unpacking these verses and what they mean to us. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. 
This morning I want to ask three questions of the passage. The first question is this, what does Jesus see? What is it that Jesus sees as he enters the temple in the city of Jerusalem at the beginning of the Passover feast? And although we can't be 100% sure whether this account happened at the beginning or end of Jesus's ministry, we can be sure that he would have seen a number of things as he walked up the city streets up towards the temple with his family and disciples. He would have seen a busy city. Jerusalem in AD 30 was a busy place. It was the religious and political center of Palestine. It would have been busy and on a normal day, but on Passover day, it would have been even busier with Jewish families coming from all over the world to come and visit the temple. It would have been like London on Marathon Day. You're like sardines packed in the tube, struggling to get anywhere, or Bournemouth Beach at the height of summer. It would all, Jesus would also have seen a formidable and beautiful temple. The Jewish temple stood on the hillside overlooking Jerusalem, built on the site of Solomon's temple, constructed some thousand years before. This temple now, 500 years old, had undergone a 50-year renovation, and it was designed that you could see its glittering globe from miles away as you approached the city. The temple was quite simply the centre of the Middle East. Jesus would also have seen merchants and money changers. The temple would have been made up of a series of courts, courts and rooms, and surrounding this would have been the outer court of the Gentiles. This was the place where the foreigners would come to worship. And when Jesus looked around, he'd have seen this place bustling with people and stalls and market traders selling doves and all kinds of other animals ready for sacrifice. He'd have seen people there changing money, exchanging the foreign currencies that all the travellers brought in into the temple currency so they could go and pay their temple tax. And he would probably have seen both these businesses charging a premium for their service because of its convenience. Much like food and drink at a motorway service station, we all hate paying the premium, but it's just so convenient to stop. But what Jesus really saw when he looked around the temple was not the people of God coming into their father's house for worship. It wasn't a place where believers could come in right worship and worship their creator. It was a place where covenant worship had been replaced by commercial convenience. Market traders, money changers, all required by Jewish ritual had instead crowded out the place where worship should have been first. It would have been like installing a row of cash machines in our foyer so that as you came to church on a Sunday morning, you could draw out the cash that you needed to place in the offering baskets. Don Carson puts it like this. Jesus's complaint is not that they are guilty of shrewd business practice and should therefore reform their ethical life, but they should should not be in the temple area at all. Instead of solemn dignity and the murmur of prayer, There is the bellowing of cattle and the bleating of sheep. Instead of brokenness and contrition, holy adoration and prolonged petition, there is noisy commerce. Form had become more important than function. How is it that you are coming to worship this morning? What have you potentially placed in your outer courts, perhaps distracting you from worshipping your Father in heaven? 
Is there some unresolved sin? Have you made something more important than Jesus? Is there background noise, so much so that you can't hear what God is saying to you? What Jesus sees when he goes into his father's house is the temple reduced to a marketplace. However, what Jesus does in this moment is begin to right the wrongs of man and restore the temple to what it was always supposed to be, a place of worship. And this quite remarkable account of an angry and passionate and physical Jesus driving out animals with a whip, scattering coins, turning over tables, upending things, is quite remarkable. And I can't imagine how his actions could have gone unchecked. Jesus was literally ruining the business of the traders in that temple at that time. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's an account shortly after the cleansing of the temple where Jesus is walking along the road back towards the city and he was hungry and he he saw a fig tree and he goes over to that fig tree and as he approached it he realized that this fig tree bore no fruit it was just leaves. Jesus cursed that tree and it withers and dies. Jesus was acting out this real-life parable for his disciples about the state of God's people. Why was Jesus so angry? Why does he respond in the way that he does? In a way that we so rarely see of Jesus in the rest of the Gospels. Jesus was showing his anger at religion without substance. Jesus saw a faithful outward appearance, but he saw no fruit. And just like the fig tree, it was better off dead. God has called you to himself not to be like Israel, where the temple had become a cover for a barrenness of God's people, but he's instead called you to bear fruit. You are image bearers of God. Be fruitful. So, what does Jesus say? I want you to imagine this scene. It's early December, you're walking through a busy Christmas market. The place is alive with people and music and merriment. Festivities are in full swing. Then in the distance, you notice a commotion starting to rise. Something is happening. People start running in all directions. And the next thing you know, there's a a sense of panic in the air and you see a man upending the tables and running through this market, disrupting what's going on. Now, if this was to happen in Bournemouth at their Christmas market, the likely outcome for this man is that the police would swoop in and the man would be arrested and charged. You'd think that the same would happen with Jesus. You'd think that the temple police or the guards would come in and arrest Jesus and kick him out. But actually, the authorities of the time come and ask him a question. And it's a question they ask Jesus over and over again. They say this in verse 18, what miraculous signs can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And how does Jesus respond? What does Jesus say? He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And at this moment, there is a huge disconnect between the words that Jesus is speaking 
and what the priests and the authorities are understanding. They've completely misunderstood Jesus. How could one man possibly destroy this huge and magnificent building and hope to raise it up again in three days? It is just not physically possible. Hey, we've been rebuilding this place for the last 50 years. I imagine the look on their faces was much like some of the children I teach when I fly some mathematical concept way over their heads and they just look at me and go, what are you on about? The words that Jesus is speaking only come into focus for the disciples and those listening after the events that mark the end of Jesus' ministry, when the same priest would have Jesus crucified on a cross just a few hundred metres outside the city walls. Jesus is not talking about bricks and mortar and physical buildings that make up the temple in the city in Jerusalem. He's talking about himself. God's own son, who was willing to die in order that he might draw us back to worship our Father in heaven. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. The worship of God has never been about a physical place, about four walls. The buildings that across this nation and across the nations currently lie empty amidst our global crisis. It's not about them, it's about who we come to. It's about our Father in heaven who deserves our worship. At the moment of Jesus' crucifixion, those accusing Jesus of blasphemy actually quote these words, back at Jesus. They say, hey, you said you're going to destroy the temple, you're going to rebuild it in three days. The great irony is this, that when Jesus was on the cross and he died, he achieved everything that he promised in these words. Not only was the need for a physical temple destroyed, the true and better temple, Jesus, was raised to life after three days. The temple in Jerusalem was eventually torn down by the Roman Empire not too many years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Nothing remains of it, but the church, the bride of Christ, established through the new temple, Jesus shines brighter each day. It is alive. If you've tuned in and have never made a decision to follow Jesus, you've never taken a leap of faith and said yes to him. The good news of the message of Jesus is this, that Christ, God's own son, would allow himself to be destroyed, to make a way to restore your relationship with your father in heaven. Jesus died so that you could enter the temple and worship. The story of humanity contained within these scriptures is about God of heaven redeeming a people in order that they may worship him. God has always been about creating a place, a temple where he can meet his people. At the beginning of the story, Adam worships in the Garden of Eden. And when that goes wrong, God gives him instructions to build a tabernacle as the the people of Israel escape across the desert wilderness 
And when that goes wrong, Solomon builds the most incredible temple, a place where it's supposed to be the the centerpiece of the worship of God. But all of these places, all of these temples are ultimately defiled by the faithlessness of man. You know, it's amazing to see stories in the news right now of nature responding to lockdown. How lockdown is somehow a breath of fresh air to our natural world and dolphins are returning to places they've never been before. That somehow if you remove man from the scene, nature resets itself. However, the solution to the problem of sin is not removing man from the picture, but about a God who decided to become man in order that we may have a better way to come and worship. Jesus comes as the true and better temple. When we come to worship him, we do so because of his saving work on the cross, because Jesus gave himself so that you may be restored to him, so that you may achieve your creation mandate to worship your Father in heaven. God's story is painted in a prophetic book that John also writes, a book called Revelation. It says this in Revelation 21. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Let us take comfort in these times. One day Christ will come again and the fulfilment of God's plan will see no need for a physical temple because the heavens and the earth will be the temple. Whilst the doors of our building are closed and locked shut, the church of Christ the King is very much alive. In a moment as we come and sing together, Whilst we may be separated by the the physical restrictions placed upon us by the current difficult times, we join with the voices of all those who believe in fulfilling what God has called us to do, to worship him in his house.